Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. The title of our message today is The Harmony of a Unified Church. And uh, I'm going to start with something that's very spiritual. Y'all know what a gecko is, right? You know, like that little lizard guy that's on the Geico commercials? You know, a cute little green guy with the, the bulgy eyes and, and, and the, I don't know why they gave him a British accent, but oh well, I guess geckos have British accents. But uh, those things are pretty amazing. Now, Donna just loves them. So if you ever see one, make sure, especially kids, if you see a gecko, bring it to Miss Donna. She loves them. <laughs> and she's going to kill me afterwards. She can't stand them. You know, and uh, for some reason, our, our yard is blessed with them. And uh, so the thing that amazes me is that I'm on the back porch or wherever I'm at, and I'll see one, but it's not like I just see it. Like we have poles that hold up our back porch, and they're brown. And I'll look, and I'll see something move in the brown, and I'm like, that's a gecko because he has turned brown. But then just a few minutes later, you can look down, and you can look in the grass, and there's one that's bright green. So they're chameleons, right? They, part of their defense is to change their skin colors, their appearance, so they can blend into whatever background is around them. I don't know what they're going to do if they get on like a plaid quilt or something. Uh, that would be quite a trick. But for our purpose today and for our time today, God didn't call you and I to be a gecko. Praise the Lord. God did not call you and I to be a chameleon. He didn't call us to blend in. He didn't call us to change our colors so we don't stick out because blending in with the darkness around us has never ever been part of God's plan. And the thing is, is that the Bible tells us actually God God has not called us to be the same. He's called us to be different. In Romans 12, he says, he tells us not to conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So this morning, we see Paul writing a letter to a church at Corinth because they had become chameleons. Instead of being a church that was placed here to impact the culture, the culture began impacting the church. All of us would be tempted to say that things are getting worse every day. We could all sit around, share a biscuit, and solve the world's problems. I understand that. But the truth of the matter is that things have been worse since the very beginning of time in Genesis chapter 3, where the curse of sin was placed upon man and earth. So if that curse has been placed, what did he do to remedy that? Well, it's called the church. God placed the church in this world to reflect his glory and to share his love. I remember the other, just a couple months ago, uh, we were in our, our district, our fire district. We had a wreck on a road, and somebody had just plowed right through the intersection. We thought, what, why in the world did somebody plow through that intersection until we realized someone had stole the stop sign? Yeah. So somewhere, there's an idiot's got a stop sign on the wall in the bedroom thinking that's the coolest thing in the world. But if you have a stop sign in your room, I'm not judging. But the truth of the matter is, is that that stop sign was gone. They blew through. Luckily, they didn't get hurt. But yeah, their their car was totaled. My friends, Homeland Park Baptist Church is a roadside 
in a dark world that shows people the directions that it takes to stay safe. But if we are more worried about blending in with everybody else, it's no different than removing the road sign and just watching people plow through it every single time. We've we've been called here to be light. And this church kind of lost sight of this. Just as a, a brief background, Paul visited Corinth approximately 50 years after Jesus Christ died. And he stayed there for a year and a half. And he taught about Jesus in the Jewish synagogue, and he got a lot of pushback from that. And so he began teaching in the house across from the synagogue, where many came to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. He likely wrote this letter that we're reading to Corinth while he was away in Ephesus during his third mission trip, or as biblical callers say, missionary journey. He loved the people he met in Corinth, and this letter was intended to help them get back on track after losing their way. So as we look at our scripture, the first thing that we see is that you, as a Christian, and as his church, have been set apart by God for his purpose. You may not feel like you are special. You may not feel like you are called. You may not feel like that you are the the special forces that God has called to do his work. But you are. As the church, you have been the ones that have been called up to be the road signs, to live the difference, not to be chameleons that blend in, but to show the difference. And so it says in verse 1, this letter is from Paul, by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Some translations say that he is called by God. And from our brother Sosthenes, I am writing to God's church in Corinth that to you who have been called by God, To be his own people, he made you by means of Jesus Christ, as just as he did for all the people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So what we see here is that every believer has been called by God. If you have said, if I say, are you, if I ask you, are you a Christian? Oh, praise Jesus, I am a Christian preacher. Well, then that means you are called by God. You did not decide on your own that this is something I'm going to do. This is not something you've made happen. If you are a Christian, yes, you had to have to choose to accept Jesus, but it was because he was knocking on the door of your heart all the time. And as we read this verse, or as we read the beginning of this book, we see that Paul and and those Back in those days, didn't write letters like we like we do nowadays. Today, when we write a letter, we address who it's to, and then we say who it's from. Well, back then, they would start with who it was from, and then they would write about who it's to. But Paul fearlessly proclaimed that he was an apostle. Why did he do that? To give him credit. He said, look, I have seen Jesus. Now, still, even when he said that, you know, there are some people that thought he says he's an apostle, but he's not one of the real original 12. He's not the OG apostles. He's somebody that says he saw Jesus. But Paul is proclaiming, I am apostle. I have seen Jesus. And here's what I want you to know. Your authority to speak about Jesus 
is found in your calling. My friends, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, that is all the paperwork, all the credentials, all that you need to speak about Jesus. It doesn't mean that you are perfect. It does not mean that you are like Jesus. But it does mean that you are following him and he has made an impact in your life. And Corinth was much like the big cities today. It was one of the greatest cities. It would be much like Atlanta or Charlotte, New York, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Dubai, London, all of these. There was something there for everyone. Some of it was good, but most of it, quite honestly, was bad. Corinth had a reputation of being the place where you can pursue your greatest desires. If someone would have called you a Corinthian, that would have been like them saying, well, that person's a hellion. That person's a wild person. They did not have a, a great, a great, um, they weren't known for their, their standards, put it that way. Or if they were, they were low standards. It was a center point for strong government, military, and businesses. And lives were being transformed. If you look back, it mentions a guy named Sosthenes. If you go back and look at Acts 18, to him as the head of the Corinthian synagogue. So that means that Sosthenes was once the ruler of the synagogue that didn't want Paul to preach in it. So you can tell right there that God has been at work because a man that was optometrically posed to Paul is now following him and scribing for him and writing for him. He's his assistant or his scribe. And we also see Christian, Christians Christians are called by God to be together. Look at verse 2, where it says, I am writing to God's church. Now, there's a word you may have heard before. And uh, I, I, look, I'm never impressed when a preacher says, you know, the Greek word for this is, and they go into all that. But I have to tell you this time, the Greek word for what he's talking about here is ekklesia. You ever heard of the term ekklesia? Oh, yeah, ekklesia is the, the, the Greek word for church. Actually, no, it's not. The term ecclesia was a term that they used for any large gathering. If you had your Tupperware party, if you had your senior adult saints, if you had um, a, a civic event or whatever it was back in those days, it would be called an ecclesia, a group of people. But what made it a Christian thing is that Paul said, look, in this large gathering, it is called by God, of God, for God's people. That is what made it church. Church here is a gathering because God has called us here. And if God has not called us here, we might as well close the doors or turn it into a rotary club or something else. Because we are here called by God. And the application is, what good are we doing here if it's just to feel good about ourselves? You and I have been in a place in this world to make a difference, not blend in. And Paul is using positive words here to remind them of their called status. I can't say this enough this morning, folks. You are called by God. You may not feel it, but the fact is you are and then we go into verses 4 through 9. Being thankful for what God has done fosters unity. Let's read that. I always thank my God for you and the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, meaning Jesus, through him, 
God has enriched your church in every way with all the eloquent words and with all your knowledge. This confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift that you need as eagerly as you wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on that day when the Lord Christ Jesus returns. God will do this. He is faithful for what he is faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into the partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Belonging to Jesus means that you do the work through him. You say, well, preacher, I can't do nothing. I just, I really don't feel the Lord pushing me in any direction. I would say you're probably not listening. Or you say, yeah, I, I know I could do that, but you know, I really got this other thing going on. Or you don't know my past, preacher. No, I don't know your past, but God does. And he's still calling you, if you are a Christian, regardless of what your past was, to serve him. Because you are here today. You are called by him. You are the church. And we should be faithful to God because God is faithful to us. You see, when we set apart Christians, shirk our calling to impact the world. The world will devour them. That, what, that's what he's saying here. That's a fancy way of saying, when we don't stand up for Christ, the world will knock us over. Probably should have just said it that way. That sounds better. When we don't stand up for Christ, the world's going to knock us on our feet. Because if we stand for Christ, our footing is not in our ability, but our footing is in Jesus Christ himself. If you are not meeting resistance in today's world as a believer, then my friends, you're not walking with him. The church at Corinth didn't care. And Paul was writing to them out of love to correct them. So here we go. He's been very positive and very welcoming. This has been a good letter so far. He's commended them for what he's been doing. Uh, I guess in uh, leadership and I guess maybe uh, I've heard of uh, in parenting, uh, there's... Uh, the uh, stroke and spank technique. You ever heard of that one? You tell them how good they are, and then whap, hit them with the real, the real truth of it. It's kind of like you in your boss's office. Well, you've been doing a great job, and we appreciate your numbers, but we're going to be cutting people, and uh, you have ten days. You know, or hey, we really, we really treasure your employment time here, but we're going to have to go our separate ways. That is not what's happening here. That is not what's happening here. Divisions occur when Christians begin to embrace culture instead of their calling. Let's look at what he's talking about. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. So the fact that he even wrote that means what, biblical scholars? If he writes in here, let there be no divisions in the church, what has happened? Come on, everybody can get this. There are divisions in the church. Hey, ding, 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 we have a winner. That's right. He's writing this because there are divisions in the church. And divisions is where, if you ever heard of the term schism or something that is divided, this means greater than just a splitting apart or one, one person gets mad at the other guy. The term here for division means to tear or rip apart. That's what he's talking about here. He's not saying somebody's mad because Granny May's pie didn't win the the bake-off. He's saying, look, 
You've got a fellowship of believers, and they are ripping themselves apart. And they're causing division in the church. In the second half of verse 10, he says, Rather, be of one mind. Or the King James Version says, Be perfectly joined together. In one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. So when he talks about here about being of one mind or being perfectly joined together, what he's talking about, he's not talking about, oh, y'all just be in the same room and work it out. What he's talking about here is when the, the picture here is to literally repair, strengthen, and make complete again. In the medical world, they would use this term to knitting bones together that have been broken or joining together a joint that has been dislocated. If you've ever had a dislocated joint or if you've ever had a broken bone, you can understand that. Sometimes they have to put screws in your body and attach it together just so it'll mend. That's the kind of, of, of damage divisions in the church does where they're ripped apart. Because remember, the church is the body, right? So when the body has divisions, that's broken bones. That's joints out of place. And so what he's saying, instead, through Christ as a church, mend yourselves together. Do whatever it takes to become one again. And then he mentioned Chloe. Chloe was likely a woman who came to the Lord and led her family to do the same. And they heard in Corinth about all the things that were going on. So they went to Ephesus to tell Paul about this. So the reason he's writing this letter is because Chloe and her family have given a report on what's going on. And it says in verse 12, Some of you are saying I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. Some translations say Peter. I follow only Christ. What does this mean? We have one church that is bragging about who they follow. That's, that's pretty much all it is. I am followers of Paul. These were leaders who helped establish the church at Corinth. Those who said they follow Apollos, he was a teacher who spoke eloquently. He would have been the highbrow, high-talking, uh, high-flutey kind of speaker that everybody just really wanted to gravitate to because they felt smarter listening to him. I know that's not y'all. But then some said that they would follow Peter or Cephas, the first among the OG 12, 12 apostles. They thought, yeah, I, I, I am getting the grassroots movement. I am following one of the apostles. And then one says, the real spiritual people say, well, we only follow Christ. They're looking at them saying, you're so worldly after following men. We're following in the footsteps of no one less than Jesus himself. We are the ones that are right with God. Let me tell you something. What was happening here is, look, there is nothing wrong with somebody coming to this church and they see the way we operate and they say, oh, that's great for them, but that's not me. And I would lovingly say, look, there are a million churches in this area. Go find one that is you. That, that's great. And there will be some people at other churches that look around and say, no, this is, this is not me, but I want to come here and be a part of this church. And that's fine, too. But the problem is, is when churches start to get their identity not in Jesus Christ, but who the preacher is or how popular the church is. What was happening here is that one was saying, well, I follow the preacher at No Hope Baptist Church. The other one was saying, well, we follow the preacher at No Opinions Baptist Church. 
Or we don't even, and others say that we're not even Baptists, we're the free will people down the street. Or they, other people say, no, I'm the church downtown. And so, again, they're not, they're not united in Christ. They're bragging about who their preacher is. About, look, oh, we're with Peter. Oh, no, we're with Apollo. So, we're with Jesus. You know, it's just, that's what they are focusing on. So, they're focusing on the wrong things. And then he says in verse 13, Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Have you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Verse 16 says, Oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. What we see here is that baptism follows salvation. Baptism follows salvation. There were Christians that were in Corinth that were bragging about who baptized them. They were bragging about, well, you know, so-and-so preacher, they baptized me, they baptized my son. Everybody had been baptized by that preacher. They were so excited about that. But Paul says, look, baptism, I want, I want to make sure you understand, baptism is not, Paul is not throwing baptism under the bus. There was a th- theology back then, or a doctrine back then, that they believed, and believe it or not, it's still around today, that talks about uh, regenerate baptism. Regenerate baptism, what does that mean? That means that there are people out here that believe that in order to truly be saved, Salvation must, I mean, baptism must occur for salvation to happen. My friends, the Bible says clearly, the only thing that saves us from our sins is the blood of Jesus Christ and accepting that into our lives. That does not negate baptism, though. Baptism is absolutely an act of obedience. But the water doesn't save us. The act of going under the water doesn't save us. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's trying to get those people back to that point. It's pretty amazing. Paul wasn't trying to impress people with his words or his sermon tactics or his delivery. Which is pretty much what I'm attempting to do here today. Look, I I understand that, believe it or not, comparison is a thing for some preachers. If you've, I mean, we all deal with comparison. Of course, sometimes I listen to other preachers and say, "Boy, it'd be great to be like them." Or you see other churches, "Boy, it'd be fine to be like that." But the more we compare ourselves with the other people, the less we become of what God wants us to be. And look, I would have loved to been entertaining and giving you some funny stories for you to walk away here with. But my main goal at the end of this day is now when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, you have a greater understanding of what it says in the context so that you can apply it to your life when you need it most. Be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. I'm going to give you a little visual illustration before we close here because we've got, we've got a few minutes. 
And no, I'm not trying to, to be a piano player, but I'm going to give you an example. Can you all hear me? Yeah. People watching the video going, what is that preacher doing? Okay, this is not, this is just a, an, a sermon illustration. Can anybody tell me what this note is? No? Let me play it louder. No? Okay, how about just, I'll just do a couple. No? Okay, let's say this, there's a little church downtown, let's do this one. No? Let's talk about the big church. The point is, there is no unity in those chords. There is no unity because everybody is focused on their own thing. There's factions. There's people that are worried about things that are not important. As opposed to when you go to this. But look, even if one person in this, in this church decides to uh, go their own way, it goes from this to this. person decides to do it. It starts to get awful, doesn't it? So I, I think you get the story I'm trying to say here. Is that Paul's issue here with the Corinthian church was this. They were all going in different directions. And I will go ahead and tell you, our church, any church, the minute we get our eyes off of the gospel and off of doing what God has called us to do, just as we talked about last week, from going from the very beginning where a sales lady, a gallon belt, had a burden for somebody in ten houses behind our church here, the minute we lose sight of why we are here, we are no less than my piano playing right there. We're just loud, obnoxious noises. Now, we are very blessed in this church that... That there is harmony, there are people that are working together to do the work of the Lord, but there is also room for one other person. Think how much fuller the chord could sound if somebody would be willing to do what God has called them to do. We may not have the problem today that the church at Corinth had back in the day. However, it could hit us at any time. God has brought you and I here today for the reason of doing His will. As called servants. And our rally cry is not our budget. Our rally cry is not the color of our carpet. Our rally cry is not our worship style. Our rally cry is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Satan doesn't like it. And he will use every weapon in his arsenal to thwart that. And I, I think I see that, I mean, I see that all the time in my life. But as a pastor, it hurts when you can see that. In the lives of others, to where you see, Satan doesn't play fair, does he? He goes after loved ones. He goes after healthy people. He goes after leaders. He goes after people that would think that they're insignificant. He, he does not care. He will use whatever he can. But the other part of that is nothing happens to us that God does not allow. 
And so, my friends, what we see here is that Paul's prayer for the church at Corinth is my prayer for you today. God has placed his church in this world. God has placed Homeland Park Baptist Church in this community and world to reflect his glory and to share his love and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to people who didn't even know they need him. To be that road sign for people who are lost. Somewhere along the way, the church of Corinth got lost in their purpose. And they were divided, they were ineffective, and quite honestly, being a bad example to unbelievers. So, as a church of Jesus Christ, let us be a church of harmony. Pulling together, working together, joining together to see him glorified. And that's when true harmony will happen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time today. And Lord, we're just going to have a a brief invitation here, Lord, if there was anything uh, said today that somebody may want to respond for you, Lord. Maybe someone knows today that they want to be sure that their salvation is intact and they are called by you, that they are your child, Lord, and that they have got this special status that Paul talks about. If they want to know for sure that they are a believer in Jesus Christ, may they just come up today. We'll pray with them and we'll make sure that we get that nailed down. Maybe someone may want to be baptized or join this church. Or maybe just maybe there's somebody here that knows that they're not doing what they need to be doing, either here in the church or out in the world, and that they want to make a commitment today to do that. Whatever the commitment is, Lord, may they respond. And may you be glorified. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Donna, would you come?